You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about the first season of The Mandalorian. Yeah, I am really excited for season two of this show. I was surprised by how much I liked the show, so I definitely wanted to get out this episode now just before the second season airs so that that way people can listen to it, they can be reminded about what happened in the first season, they can get sort of pumped up and prepared for the second season. So I hope that you listen to this and you get all of those things. In other news, Beth and I uh, are currently watching Titans. That's the uh, DC series, Titans. Uh, We're like three episodes in. I don't think it's particularly great. I hope it gets better. I've heard good things and I've heard bad things, depending on the person. I've heard fairly consistently that if you watch the whole season through, it's a lot better than just watching the first few episodes. It does kind of get better. There is sort of an arc and a point to everything. So I am going to give it the benefit of the doubt, and we are going to continue on with it. But I gotta say, honestly, I'm looking a lot more forward to Doom Patrol. But, you know, we'll we'll see how that goes when I get to it. But yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to report. Don't have a whole lot more to talk about. I know I'm going to be involved in Chicago TARDIS virtually in some way in November, but so far the details are kind of vague. I suggested some panel ideas to them when they asked for it, but I don't know if any of my ideas are going to make it as panels or what panel ideas they're going to go with, but I'm sure there will at least be one that I can participate in and that they'll allow me to be part of. I did put an idea in there for sort of a Doctor Who game show, which I'll be kind of interested to see if they go with that. That'll be kind of exciting and kind of fun, and I'll definitely let you guys know if they go forward with that idea, because I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch if they can pull it off. So keep watching this space. But yeah, so without further ado, let's join the podcast already in progress. You know her as the Greek statue that was brought to life. She is a cosplayer extraordinaire. That is my buddy, Angie. Angie, how are you doing? I am surviving the Rona as best I can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. You were telling me uh, that it's, uh, it hasn't been too good around where you live, right? No, I'm- I want to move to the woods and never see another human again. <laughs> hey, those those are the people that are going to live through this thing. <laughs> Probably. We'll all be misanthropes. We'll never put another civilization back together because we can't stand each other. <laughs> yeah, we've just learned, like, being around people is a bad thing. Actually... it's it's like hey this is like the life lessons of my entire life like externalized (laughs) into a force uh, of nature um but uh but yeah so um has anything been good been going on for you i mean you know i've I've spent more time with my with my family than i think i i have you know and 
probably since my kid was born. So, um, you know, there's that, there's lots of quality time. There's lots of divinity happening in our house right now. Um, but you know, so yes, I'm trying to appreciate the quality time while both of us work from home full time and our kid is home with us. Mm-hmm. He, he can't entertain himself for long periods. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, man, it's, it's rough, but we're, we're trucking along. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, uh, it's been a little bit rough because the kids have been with us just because, uh, they are not very good at sticking on task with stuff. And so I'm supposed to be working and yet I have to get up constantly and say, Hey, are you guys working on your schoolwork? And you know, it takes them far longer than it really should because they're not. The problem is I can't take away their devices because they need the devices to do the schoolwork. Yeah. And so every time I'm like turning around and going, you know, back to my office and working, I come back and they're on their devices, but they've just, you know, gotten, you know, put Google Classroom away and are playing a game or whatever. And it's like, ah, stop. <laughs> so. Yeah, we, we took away the <laughs> we took away the learning tablet once as a punishment. And mm. it was so miserable for us that we found other ways to discipline. <laughs> and it's, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, nope, I, I hear you. But no, I, I I totally agree with you, though. I am spending more time with my kids, and that has been, you know, that's been good, you know, that I see them more, and so that's cool. But, yeah, just, just oh, man. I'll, I'm, I'm going to be happy when school is over in two and a half weeks. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I can't even imagine if I was trying to keep it on task with schoolwork instead of just, like, don't you want to watch Blue's Clues? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, Blue's Clues. That was one of the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> As I think back to those days. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> all right. Well, it's good to have you back on the show, Angie. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, no problem. All right. So next up, um, it, it, she is, I would almost say, the, the most prolific cosplayer I've ever met. <laughs> She is a big Star Wars fan, and we are now going through Doctor Who together, and that is my buddy Juliet. How are you doing, Juliet? I have also had a rough time lately, (laughs) but I am extraordinarily excited to hear you say the most prolific cosplayer you've ever met, because I'm sitting here thinking, yes, I just expanded my cosplay closet to be like 60 costumes now. (laughs) Only 60. I'm surprised. Well, that's that I have immediately on hand to to, to wear. (laughs) Right. No, I know. It's like when you'll be like, oh, today I just decided to go to work in costume. And like you'll post like for a whole week, like different costumes you're just wearing to work. And just like, oh, wow. Yeah. I do love doing that. Yeah. And uh, and it seems like every time you go to a con or whatever, you've got something new. You know, even if you're wearing some old stuff too. So I do try to throw in some new ones. I've got a new uh, new one from Full Metal Alchemist that I'm working on, and hopefully, I'll be able to do a Reno or a Reno cosplay from Final Fantasy VII soon. Mm. Nice, yeah, yeah. Because didn't you like uh, when we met at Dragon Con? Didn't you do multiple costumes that day? Yes, for four days of Dragon Con, I think I usually bring around. 12 to 15 costumes and do a 
costume change three to four times a day. Dear Maybe God. You're making, you're making me tired just listening to you. It sounds like too much work. I admire the moxie, but I am too lazy for that. <laughs> oh, but there's so many different things. Like I've got the fleet, the, the fleet BDUs for Battlestar events and the parade and then immediately go change into something else. The Catwoman costume gets too hot after about an hour and I'll t- take that off and put on a portal costume instead. I have costumes for drinking at night when I... They're, they're my costumes. If alcohol gets on it, no problem. They're full of pockets. And then I have full body spandex like Dark Phoenix that can only be worn in the day. And usually when I have a friend to walk around with me to carry all my stuff. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is this is reality, people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So um, besides today, Juliet, how have things been? Other than today, things have been pretty good. Uh, I've been blowing through books like there is no tomorrow. I've I've made it through all eight Expanse books that are out right now, and Mm. I cannot wait for the ninth. I just finished the newest uh, book in the Hunger Games series, Mm. the one that just came out this this week, last Mm -hmm. week, last week. I finished it like five minutes before we started recording, and it was amazing. Okay. Well, that's good. So, yeah. it's Other than that, it's been okay. I've been hanging in there. Okay. Well, that's good. And you have a companion with you today, right? I, I do. I have uh, the child sitting in my lap right now. He's so cute. Oh, my goodness. I pre-ordered him in November, the moment they made pre-orders available, and I've just been waiting on him. That's really cool. Um, well, it's good to have you back on the show, Juliet. It is good to be back. And finally, finally, he is our Robert E. Howard expert. He is an 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 ape expert, and that is my buddy Mark Finn. How are you doing, Mark? Hey, hey, hey! What's going on, brother? <laughs> it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it it has definitely been some time. I, I don't even remember when the last time you were on was. I am pretty sure we were talking about the first Iron Man back in two thousand eight. That's how long it feels like. <laughs> And you were like, oh, this Robert Downey Jr., he's all right, but I don't think it's got the distance. And I was like, no, Nathan, come on, man. Have a little faith, man. Believe in something. And you were like, no, forget it, man. I like the I like the DC stuff better. And so, you know, I, I think we see now, you know, uh, how that all shook out. So, uh, yay us. I'd, yeah, like to say, I I'd like to think we were right in it. This is You're definitely the Mark from the Mirror Universe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the goatee. No, oh, God. <laughs> oh, it's never the dagger. It's always the goatee. You know, no one even questions the dagger. It's like, that thing's horrible. It's serrated. It's got a, th- it's got a thing on it. What are you doing? Next to you're going to be like, Nathan, your agonizer, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I have been watching those classic tracks again and enjoying them muchly with the uh with the enhanced spaceshipery on it oh okay yeah see i i I turned that off i I watched it one time that way just to see it and then i'm like no i want to see it the way it was originally Uh, i uh i I tried it both ways and i've gotten to the point that i can't uh like like i know what they were going for mm -hmm. you know and you see it. it it's like it's like looking at a fourth grader science fair project and going yeah it's a volcano all right but it's really not isn't it you know it's really not so so i i've I've been enjoying they because they didn't really do anything else but you know it was color correction and then all basically it's the wipes it's the it's the uh inter interstitial shots so right uh, I, and i find that that actually keeps me engaged to the next scene more than oh look the paper mache world is back you know so <laughs> 
because uh, because here's the deal yeah they could they could have fixed the horda <laughs> but <Yeah>. they didn't <laughs> oh they didn't <laughs> and, yeah. and that horda is as dumb as it ever was <laughs> Holy crap! Man, you forget you forget how just. I mean, I I get Mark, it. Mark, know? I just watched these last year all the way through. I don't I haven't forgotten anything. You know, well, a lot of people. You know, you yeah. know. I, I'm glad the 12 year old made scale that day for jumping around. You know, in a in a in a chicken wire uh, atrocity, but uh, they could have fixed that and they didn't. So I appreciate mm. the restraint. Okay. How are you? I, I'm 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 surviving. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's about as good as we get you know yeah i mean for me it's like i don't care as much about like i don't i i'm one of those people that it's like i don't really like being around people much anyway so like right. all like going out and being in big groups and whatever i whatever yeah, yeah. I, I i i confess it took me longer to wig out because i'm so used to not talking to people mm. anyways but uh my county in Texas is one of the counties that has five or less cases uh, on the books. And so we have, as of last weekend, tentatively reopened conditionally, provisionally 50 cent, 50% amount um, for the theater. And it is going about as well as you expect it, it to, because we can't show new movies. We're, right. sho we're showing eighties classics uh, that, that are, are hurting my soul, but, um, <laughs> well, some of them, some of them hurt my okay, soul. Okay. I was about to say, you can't just like say, no, 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 but, but for every Star Trek two wrath of Khan, mm -hmm. there is a Howard the duck. And so we have the sacred and the profane, <laughs> <laughs> but Howard the duck is at least fun to watch. I, <laughs> I'm going to let you have that opinion okay. all to yourself, brother. <laughs> that's, that's why we, that's why we get along is you, <laughs> you can, you can love that movie as much as you want and I will just not. But you run the theater, right? So why oh, can't I know. you just pick all of your favorite movies and not worry about things like, well, if I, if I picked all of my favorite movies, it would be near dark and streets of fire and mad max and the stuff and it would be and, and they're 80s movies yeah buddy but they're not it's not et it's not right. 16 candles it's not you know right, and so right. i gotta I, I i would like to make money it's i mean because if, if i want to go sit in the theater by myself i can do that right. uh but if i charge other people to come in then uh i can buy food mm. So it's all right now. It's all about uh, the hamburger helper, you know? Okay. It's interesting though, because with that mindset, I wouldn't expect Howard the duck to be a movie. You'd consider like a general, like appeal kind of movie. I, well, I, I don't know what these people like. And so <laughs> I have been doing some polls on Facebook, uh, like an either or kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And so right now I've put Howard the duck opposite jaws 3d. With the question, which 80s movie would you rather watch? And so I kind of, I'll let the mob rule on that, you know? And, and cause, cause I would, I would argue that those are both about equal, even with the 3D on the, on that third Jaws movie, they're both like level wise, those, those pretty much match head to head. So uh, whichever one they think they want more of, I will, I will go and do as they command because okay. again, hamburger helper. Right, right. It's all it's all about the mac and cheese, baby. Yeah. Well, yeah. I hope I hope that the 
they start releasing stuff uh, fairly soon, just for your sake, if nothing else. Yeah, th- thanks. It's 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 a uh, it's it's been a real uh, nightmare, and I'm I'm sympathetic to L.A. because you know they're they're at a in a in a port city in an overcrowded area. I mean, I get it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, my my partners in the in the in the industry uh, could be helping us uh, with with these little um, what they call repertory shows. It's called a repertory show, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is a, a, a movie speak for this movie's already paid for, but we're going to charge you for it anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I get, I get to not like some of my usual people even just a little bit more mm-hmm. fun stuff. Yeah. Well, here have started offering private screenings. Um, and it's funny. I don't actually own enough, uh, know enough people to do one because it's a flat fee. It's oh, like yeah. mm-hmm. 350 bucks or something. And you can have up to 20 people. And I was like, well, I know six. So <laughs> <laughs> that's not really worth it for me, but I am intrigued by the idea. You know, I, I mean, it's, that's definitely not something movie theaters usually do. So just for the novelty, I kind of would like to. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we do that with um, birthday parties uh, and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, our, we will uh, often hook up uh, the, video game console of their choice to our digital projectors Ooh. and oh yeah yeah when you, you have not played uh call of duty until it's 19 feet tall and in your face <laughs> yeah. holy smoke that uh, is pretty nice it, yes. it's it's pretty swanky yeah right. the advantages of being in a small town so yeah. All right. Well, very cool. And yeah, I, like I say, Mark, I, I hope things uh, are turning around for you. Thank you. It's going to be a nail biter until basically Thanksgiving. No. All right. Well, with all, <laughs> with all that behind us, let's move on to our five minute controversy. And so I, I picked something that I thought that you might have some opinions on Mark. Oh, I um, got, I got thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, one of the things that's been happening right now, one of the the controversies is that because all the movie theaters are closed down, you know, Universal decided, hey, we've got Trolls 2, it was already ready to go, let's just release it digitally first. And that has caused, um, you know, some some great consternation from the big movie theater chains who have said, we're going to boycott Universal movies and... You know, this this is not right. You know, we're not going to do anything. But then the other wrinkle that I saw recently in an article, which I shared with you guys, is that Universal may not even be making money from this move. So I'm kind of curious what everybody thinks. Like, do you think that this was like a bad move on Universal's part? And do you think that this is the future? Like even after things go back to normal, because Universal says we re- reserve the right to decide to do this kind of thing of releasing the digital first you know, uh, even after things go back to normal. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? So why don't we start with you this time, Juliet? Well, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. I mean, the way that I understood it and the way that it, it was clarified in various interviews was that they weren't saying we're going to release all of our movies to digital first, just mm-hmm. some of the lower profile ones. Um, and I'm totally okay with that. I, I, but I'm the person that they cater to anyway, because I'm the person who goes to see a movie in the theaters multiple times because I want to see it on the big screen. I buy tickets for the midnight showings on IMAX screens. I've waited in line for that stuff. I buy the discs. So I'm, of course, all about it, releasing some stuff 
too digital early because those are probably the ones I wouldn't have seen in the theater and I would have gotten off Netflix later. I might actually pay to rent them that way and I'm okay with that, but I, I don't think Universal is on. I don't think Universal is making a bad choice about this. I think the theaters are taking it a little too far. But that's just from my opinion as a moviegoer, because I'm still going to go see movies in the theater. I'm definitely going to buy concessions, because that's where the movie theaters make their money, at least AMC and Regal and stuff. But I don't see the harm in it. So do you, but do you think that that's really the general moviegoer, though, is a person that would see the movie regardless of of whether it was available on streaming first or are most people going because that's the only way to see it and they don't want to get it spoiled that's where i don't know i'd like to say that it's the former because i i want to say that it's the former for instance they they had planned to do uh the release of hamilton remember uh mm. on the big screen full broadway cast but release it to theaters first and then i'm sure they would bring it to disney plus streaming but now we're going directly to disney plus streaming on july 3rd but i guarantee you if they showed me they said hey we know you can see it at home for free but we're going to have it in theater releases and you get to go pay 15 bucks a ticket i'm still gonna pay 15 dollars a ticket to see it mm. on the big screen i just i'm not so sure that the majority of the public is like me Right, and I think that's the reason why the movie theater chains are upset about this, is that they're worried that, you know, they'll see the people coming to the theater drop by a substantial percentage. I mean, the worst part, the worst part is, is that if I'm dropping 15 bucks for a ticket, I'm not buying concessions and the theater's losing money on me anyway. Mm. No. Yeah, no. See, see, my parents like uh, Mark. Close your ears for this. My parents like instilled in me like this almost like phobia about buying concessions that I can't break even now that I'm an adult. Because they were always like, concessions are too expensive. You can buy the same stuff outside the theater afterwards <laughs> or whatever, and then, then you're gonna have to go to the bathroom and then you'll miss the movie anyway. And so like every time I go to the movie, like Beth always wants to get food, and I'm always like, no, I can't eat or drink while I'm at the movie theater. I have to wait until it's over. You know, <laughs> it's just like programmed deep into me. So yeah, okay. no. It's not a big thing for me to get concessions. Oh, heck, I used to work in a movie theater. I know what we used to clean those popcorn machines with. I also know what that butter is, and I've scraped it off of the tile floor with a razor blade because you can't use soap and water. You're just going to smear it around. What do I still do? I'm like, oh, no, coat that stuff with that butter fat. Please do it. Well, it was also rare for us to go to the movie theater at all anyway because my parents were always like, going to the movies is too expensive. So, you know, so. Right. I'm year. sensing a theme at your house. Right, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dessert was too expensive. Everything was too expensive. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm the person that they're hoping for, but I think I'm also in the minority. No. All right. So, uh, Angie, um, what, do, what do you think? Is this a good move on Universal's part? Do you think that this is going to, you know, ruin the movie theater industry, or what's what do you think? Well, weirdly, uh, this directly applies to me because in desperation to not hear the Frozen songs for the 500th time. I looked into renting the Trolls 2 film for my child and it was 20 freaking bucks. Mm. And um, I'm sorry, like my husband's not gonna watch it. So it's just me and my three-year-old and normally we would be going to a matinee show so we don't bother adults. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, there's no way I'm paying even even with all the extras I could possibly buy at the theater, we're not spending 20 bucks on a ticket. So no, I'm not paying 20 bucks for the privilege of watching it on my admittedly nice large 4K TV. 
Right. Well, that's crazy to me. So, I, I mean, I, I almost don't know if the, the audiences are the same audience. Because I'm going to go back to a theater when it's safe to go back to a theater. I'm going to bring my kid. I really enjoy just that experience, you know, getting him out mm. of the house. He gets so excited to see, you know, he's only seen like two of them, but because he's three. But, you know, it, it's the experience. It's going. It's getting the, you know, the junior mints and the popcorn and sitting there. Um, we're not the people that have seven kids that it's a price factor, right? So mm. those people I don't know are going to move that often anyway. I, I kind of hope it just works out. I hope that the people who wouldn't be going to films anyway because it's too expensive to buy seven, six, five tickets. Nine, I think my Utah showing, sorry, families are massive here. But those people aren't the ones going to the theater. The people going to the theater are me and my one child. So I, I, I'm hoping it just works out great for everybody, at least in Utah. It sounds like it'll work out great for everybody. Okay. <laughs> All right, so Mark, since you're an actual theater owner, is Universal the devil? Universal is um, they're they're not a they're not a great Satan uh, in the in the fatwa issuing uh, sense of the word. Um, but uh, this is and this is great because uh, both Juliet and Angie made great points, and both of them are absolutely on point with with each of their profiles you know like nobody like you've both got the right idea you know uh juliet you should know by the way though that we use real butter on our popcorn uh oh we, don't tempt me to come out there oh it's, it's <laughs> it it is it's clarified real butter you could put lobster in it it's so good um <laughs> it's also easy to clean but nevertheless uh yes juliet you are the person that we as theater owners want because uh, you understand the value of the venue. There's there's magic in being in a room with 75 other people who get it the same way that you do and who will laugh at the same jokes and who will cheer at the same places. There's a, there's a transformative power uh, with that that comes, you know, like when, you, when you're at a concert or, you know, uh, at, a, at a theater, you know, it's the same kind of you know that connectivity that we crave as people uh so uh that's i think that that's very important and you're right that's not gonna that's not gonna go away um and just spot on too you know um and and the, the with the list of reasons why uh you know uh you've got a kid that's probably going to be a distraction so we're going to the matinee it's just the two of us and i will be bored because this movie is for her, for the kid not for for the adult totally get it um all that being said universal uh did uh a punk bitch maneuver uh they they decided to do a little marketing uh experiment uh during the lockdown and 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 dress it up as oh look what we're we're just trying to help out uh and so when they got good results back uh they were emboldened by this now i don't think that um i don't think that their their market research was accurate um if no one had been in quarantine and they put troll at the and they dumped trolls out for 20 bucks it would have done as well as a straight to video release which is what those cost right uh there's no way that anybody would have 
and, and honestly, I, why did that movie get a sequel? It didn't need <laughs> one. I mean, really. Was anybody burning up the, the internet uh, writing uh, troll sequel fanfic? No, no. There's no. There's no. Uh, there's no end game here. Because uh, my six-year-old niece can't can't write yet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and to and absolutely in terms of a demographic. But you, you can you can separate the kids' movies of the world into two camps. There's the there's the Frozen camp where everybody comes out singing and the adults are kind of crying, uh, and and the kids are jumping around uh, pretending to be snow princesses. And then there's the movie where the kids come out and their eyes are wild and they're kind of darting everywhere. And you ask the parents, how, how, what'd you think? And they go, it was cute. Uh, which is parents speak for, I hated it, but <laughs> they were quiet for 90 minutes. So I'm thankful that you were here. So um, I don't think Universal thought this through very well. The fault does not lie in the distribution system of the movies. The fault lies in sending Universal Pictures with a two-week leg with two weeks worth of legs to the uh, East Haverbrook 37, where it will be in their main auditorium for the first week. It'll go to one of the secondary auditoriums for the third week, and then for weeks or for the second week, and then for weeks three through eight until it goes to sub run. It's going to be in one of the broom closets at the end of the world uh, where three to five people are going to go see it every day because there's not enough movies to put in the East Haverbrook 37 because um, that's too many uh, that's too many screens to try and, and, and uh, keep everybody's interest in films with. So it is a threat. It's a threat to Cinemark and it's a threat to AMC. And they're right to say, hey, we have a contract, we have an agreement, you're, you're, you're in violation of it. Um, I personally hope that this is how it all rolls out because here's the deal. I am the Vernon Plaza too. And I always need movies on my screens because I got more movies than screens. So if the only place next year that you can see Jurassic World 3, Everybody Dies This Time, No Really, is, <laughs> is at my theater, and it's an hour drive from Wichita Falls. People are going to come from Wichita Falls to the Vernon Theater to watch Dinosaurs Eat People. Uh, I'm, I'm really okay with that. Uh, small theaters and small uh, and, and medium-sized chains that do not have uh, as much of a stake in this uh, could be sitting pretty. Now, that said, there's another problem with Universal and to a lesser extent, uh, all of the other uh, uh, studios like Disney. They're already looking at dumping stuff on this premium video on demand format. PVOD uh, is what they're calling it. Uh, Artemis Fowl, a film that has been moved twice on Disney's schedule and punted around uh, and repositioned while they try to find a place for it that it doesn't compete with an actual movie is going to this uh, premium video on demand format. And honestly, that's the best place for it. If you go look at the trailer for Artemis Fowl, you'll take one look at that and go, oh yeah, that's something that I would have watched on Netflix, but would not have paid money to go see in a the theater. Uh, and you can tell, that's the thing. We're not idiots, Nathan. Right. We're not, we're not stupid. We know what a tentpole movie looks like. Mm -hmm. We also know when they're phoning it in. So mm -hmm. if the theaters uh, have less stuff to show, 
and the movie companies have less movies to put out that, that suck, um, then they're going to have to fall back on quality rather than quantity. And if that means that the East Haverbrook 37 uh, gets downsized to the East Haverbrook 19 or, oh God, the East Haverbrook 6, uh, that's not going to hurt anybody's feelings because there's not enough people to fill the East Haverbrook 37 in East Haverbrook. Uh, <laughs> you've seen those places. They take yeah. up four city blocks. It's ridiculous. Yes. No, I, no, yes. If you if you need a guide map and you have to follow a, a color-coded line to get to your movie theater, you are in a theme park. You've, yeah, we, we have a movie theater uh, in the next county over that's like that, where it's like, yeah, it's, it's like a shopping mall, but it's just a movie theater. But I'm going to suggest something for both uh, uh, Angie and Juliet. Uh, do either of you have access to the Alamo Draft House or know what that is? I'm familiar with it, but I don't think I have access okay. to it yet. Well, Did I mention I live in Utah? Uh, <laughs> oh, I, but sometimes Utah surprises me. You never know. Uh, but you know you know what it is. It's a dinner and a movie place, and they're famous for having the little things at the front that say, don't talk or text or we'll throw you out of the theater. Um, see, those, those movie theaters are doing just fine because they've basically built in um, a, a couple of hurdles to dissuade people who would go there and, and text all through the movie or be a distraction or let the kids run around in that they basically said, we don't, we won't do that. And, oh yeah, here's the deal. Uh, your pizza and beer are going to cost you 30 extra bucks. Uh, and so it, 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 um, for a lot of people, that's become the only place they'll go see movies at because they can watch the movie in peace and quiet. There's no distractions. There's no disruptions. And they'll pay more for it. So, um, and this is, and, and, the, and the response to the Alamo Draft House was, was to basically make the East Haver book 37. Oh, yeah? Well, we'll just do more screen. That'll show them. No, it didn't show them. Well, all it did was show, you can't, you don't have enough staff to, to cover that. And that's why they're laying people off. And that's why they're on the edge of bankruptcy. Uh, you can't cover 37 theaters uh, with every person, with every kid in high school. You could put a marching band in there and it still wouldn't be enough teenagers. Uh, so anyways, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm loving how it shakes out. This is like watching, this is, this to me is like watching kaiju fights okay. you know? from the, from the comfort of my, of my chair. It's like, oh. Look at that. Knocked over the radio tower. That's gonna it, It's my off. fault for picking something I deliberately knew that you would be able to talk about. <laughs> you, you know I like those pitches when they're underhand and right over the plate. You know that. Right, exactly. Mark, you like brought up a, a very good point, though. It is about the quality over quantity, because I'm going to say something really weird. I don't know if you guys have been watching all the free stuff that's been coming out on YouTube. Like National Theater Live showed Frankenstein, Danny Boyle's Frankenstein, the one that has Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller swapping with roles. Oh, fun. And I love that show. Uh, they show it every now and then. They trot it out at the theaters for Fathom events. And it's like 15 bucks a ticket. Right. And I go see every time they bring it out, both shows. So I'm willing to shell out 30 bucks for two different shows to see the exact same play with the, yeah. the actors swapping parts because the quality is so good. Right. But 
I am willing to wait on small things. I like I saw the trailer for Artemis Fowl. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to totally wait for Netflix because I'm not paying to even rent that. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, Nathan, you probably haven't said go watch it after this over. I'm telling you, you're going to take one look at this and go, yeah, hard pass. No, <laughs> and it's, it, sounds, and it's, it sounds familiar like something I might have seen a trailer for at some point, And it was so forgettable that I already forgot it. It's it's based on a Y series by Ian Colfer. Uh, and it came out in the midst of everybody doing Y series to try and capture that elusive Harry Potter money. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was very popular in that, well, uh, we don't, we have to wait two years for the next book. We might as well read something. It was that kind of popular. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than nothing. Yeah. And, so, uh, uh, and so in the process of doing that, uh, and what I'm talking about, I'm talking about like 2003, 2004. So this movie is 15 years too late. So anyways. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I think, I think we have, uh, we, we, we've kind of fallen down on the, this isn't the, uh, this isn't the disaster that the movie theater companies are saying that it is uh, for the industry. It, it, it could be a problem for them, but uh, like you say, it's really going to be the big bloated places. Yeah, I, I'm I'm personally now of course this could all go pear shaped and they could make up and be friends long before Jurassic Park gets here. Personally, uh I'm I'm buying all of the Bubba Gump stock I can find because I think that's gonna be who uh makes out in the end here. All right. Well, yeah, but now it is going to be time for us to talk about the Mandalorian. But before we do that, let's pause for a moment for a promo from another fine podcast. Are you one of millions of people worldwide with compulsive geekiness, feeling isolated and alone? Do you wish there were people that understood the thoughts and feelings associated with Geeky Flare Up? There is hope and a treatment program that can help. Ask your podcast service or ESO network provider if the Nerd Bliss Podcast is right for you. Or go to nerdblisspodcast.com today. Side effects may include butthurt, movie quotes, nostalgia, warp speed, becoming for becoming a brony, appreciation of cats in the movie, pantyhose, asking God what he needs with a starship, donut, muffin, or bagel, bat shoelaces, improved sense of rhythm, aiming to misbehave, nudity, and random arbitrary lists. And we're back. And like I talked about at the top of the show, we're going to talk about The Mandalorian, which is the first live action Star Wars television series. Um, or at least set in the Star Wars universe. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, do do we call it with if it doesn't say Star Wars colon? Is it is it still or does it does it even? I don't even know. I can't remember. Anyway, I just started like <laughs> digressing there. Um, no, it doesn't. It just says the Mandalorian. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah. So it's set in the Star Wars universe. It is, follows a Mandalorian. Um, so, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I felt was really interesting about this is that it's a very minimalist kind of show, you know, in an age where everything nowadays tends to be like throw as much on the screen and, you know, just, you know, just to visually interest people. Um, it's a show that allows time for things to breathe and develop. And I thought that was a really interesting part of this show. And of course, there's Baby Yoda is another thing that was a big thing about this. And of course, it's also one of the headline shows for Disney+. Plus. Now, um, we're going to talk about all of those things. Mark, what do you think about The Mandalorian overall? 
I have to tell you that this is the soothing balm for my aching soul. It really is. I love, love, love this show. Uh, it's the Star Wars thing I didn't know I needed. Uh, it is, uh, I feel like it's not so much an apology for me as it is just kind of a love note. Because uh, all the guys making this are about my age. And so we've all got a shared uh, lexicon uh, of, of experiences with this stuff. And uh, I think this is, uh, I, I hope that this becomes the template for how they do stuff uh, on Disney Plus going forward. Um, I liked everything from the art direction to the script writing. I love the, uh, the casting. I love the direction. I love the uh, special effects. They're gorgeous. I mean, they're really, um, you know, I, I, these virtual environments uh, have floored me. You know, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm uh, thrilled that um, uh, we're getting to see uh, some of these corners of the Star Wars universe uh, apart and away from the Skywalker dysfunctional family drama. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so all of that uh, together uh, made for a very welcome uh, surprise. Uh, I was skeptical, like everybody is uh, these days. You know, uh, oh yeah, how good's it gonna be? And the, I mean, it was it was it wildly exceeded my expectations. Uh, five stars, highly recommended. Okay, sure. No, um, Angie. So, what did you think about the Mandalorian as a whole? Yeah, um, for me, it was just like bonus wonderfulness. Um, so we were totally on the Disney Plus hate train. Early on, um, we were like, we're not buying another streaming service. This is as bad as cable, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, my husband is a lifelong fan of Westerns, which is a love I don't really share overly much. But he, he adores them. Um, and I'll watch them with him because I love him. And <laughs> so, so when The Mandalorian came out and kind of the initial buzz started coming out, he basically just overrode me and got Disney plus um, and we watched it and I was just so enchanted and so charmed by this show. I, I love it. Um, it was, I mean, I, I kind of get the feeling that John Favreau went to Disney and said, Hey, I want to make a Western show. And they're like, nah, man, but if you want to, you can do a star Wars <laughs> series. And so it's like, fine, I'll do both. Um, uh... Because it just, it is so, you can you can tell that the the roots are, are a western, and I think it takes the best pieces, or at least the pieces I love the most about westerns, and incorporates them in. But as a whole, just I, yeah, I'm I'm with Mark. I love everything about the universe outside of the Skywalker family, and so this is just another entry in this fantastic, really rich world that we're getting to see outside of Luke and Vader and and all of their progeny and dysfunction i'm just happy honestly i'm just happy to have a season now i realize it's probably going to change as it goes on but i'm glad to have a season without just like a jedi or a sith or somebody just popping up and being like here's a bunch of force powers it's like i mean i get that there's a little bit with the with the young yoda but uh you know I, I was glad to see that. That just like, what is a day in the life of like average joe type people in the star wars universe um, but, uh, but yeah, Juliet as our, as our longtime hardcore Star Wars fan, 
just an overview of the Mandalorian. What do you think about it? I was in love with it from the moment I heard like the first notes of music that sounded like something out of an old Western. Cause I grew up on old Westerns. I still watch old Westerns constantly when I visit my parents. Cool. cool. And <laughs> so like, you know, the Virginian, uh, gun smoke, you name it. I've watched it. I, I love all of those. And I can probably sing the entire lawman theme if you get me going, but this whole show just felt like an amazing mishmash of like Star Wars and Westerns. And it makes sense for it to be with the Mandalorian culture. I also love Mandalorian culture, which is one of the things from the expanded universe that I was really sad to see disappear. Mm. That was the most surprising thing to me that they actually incorporated like stuff from the old EU. Oh, it was great. Like they were talking about Beskar and I was like, yes. And and then you gave me. Well, and this is why I disagree with Angie that it was pitched as a Western and then turned into a Star Wars thing because Favreau, I think is a hardcore fan. I, I think he's a hardcore Star Wars fan. In fairness, I don't think that this originated as a Western that he converted. I think he just wanted to do a Western. Mm. I mean, told him no. So he decided to do one anyway. I could see it. I could see that actually happening. But what sold me on it in that first episode completely? Warner Herzog. Oh my gosh, that man and his voice and the way he talks. And I have never stopped repeating, bounty hunting is a complicated profession. And I was like, yes! <laughs> and out of nowhere. I mean, Werner, Her like like Carl Weathers, you go, yeah, all right, Carl Weathers. Yeah, cool, Carl Weathers, awesome. <laughs> Werner Herzog! Holy crap! What the hell? I mean, that's not even a deep dive. You've gone to a different pool. But he was amazing. Like, <laughs> I, I can't even imagine anybody else doing that part now. So, yeah, no, the series got me. I loved the different feelings to the episodes. I, I like the fact that it there was an overall arc, but at the same time, each episode stood pretty well on its own. And even the slower episodes, I loved the, the development and the Mandalorian himself that I really want to get into later on in the podcast. There were just so many things about it. Hmm. Okay, yeah. No, I mean... <laughs> This is the thing. Everybody keeps telling me it's a Western, and, and it, just from my background, the Westerns were the things my dad used to force me to watch and sit with them. I was always bored to tears. I'm sure I've seen just about every John Wayne movie ever made. Um, and just I, I don't get the whole Western thing. To me, it reminds me of Lone Wolf and Cub. <laughs> you know, it's like that's when I'm watching it. I'm like, this is this is more this is like a Japanese samurai film. You know, well, I th like I think I think that's where the overlap is. Is there's a lot of Akira Kurosawa, uh, of course, in the original Star Wars, which Lucas uh, uh, incorporated and, mm -hmm. and uh, oh, Pilford incorporated, stole whichever verb you want to use there. Uh, but uh, but I think they went back to the well for that. And oh, so, definitely. and so a lot of the themes, you know, the, the Ronin and the masterless samurai, uh, yo Jimbo, few dollars more mm. magnificent seven, seven samurai. Uh, it's, I, it, it's weird because, uh, I got just as much of the, of the Kurosawa vibe as I did Sergio Leone. Uh, and I think those two, I think those two are kind of intertwined, so, you know, it's cool if you got all the samurai stuff out of it, because I don't think it takes anything away from that. I think those are, I think that overlap is intentional, you know? Yeah, 
No, and specifically Lone Wolf and Cub, because the idea of the guy, you know, the the wanderer who's the, got the yeah, kid, with the baby, yeah, he's got the baby with him and is fighting all these things and everything like that. I, there were very strong vibes of that, like going mm-hmm. through it. But uh, yeah, I felt like this was a little bit of a slow burn. Um, it took me a couple of episodes to really get into it, but um, definitely love Nick Nolte's character right off the bat. That was really great. <laughs> I have spoken. Um, More inspired casting. Yes, that was a really good. That was a really good uh, role. But uh, but yeah, like as you get through it, and as you get through the whole idea of the Mandalorian's honor and all the different things there, and you start getting a little bit of a of a background. But again, it's a whole season, and we don't really know a whole terribly lot about this guy. Right. And I like that. I like that it's not like, oh, well, by the end of the season, we have to know everything he's done from the moment he was born to now. And we've got to have a whole involved backstory. And, you know, we got to know why the people are after the, the baby and all this kind of stuff. And I was kind of glad that at the end of the season, it was kind of like, they're like, yeah, there's more stories to tell in the future. You know, we don't need to have everything tied up in a nice, neat little bow you know, with this series, but, um, well, they also had knowing that they were going to have a second season, you know, cause yeah. Firefly did that too. And we were right. just left going. <laughs> well, in, in this case, it's another, it's another situation where this guy shows up fully formed, right? Mm-hmm. Right out of the gate. You know, he's got a history, he's got a past, you know, and we know nothing about him. They, uh, you can tell these are good storytellers and good directors working on this because, for every question that they answered, they uh, oh, they asked two more. Right. And well, and so, to follow, yeah, to follow up on that too, the brilliance of having him be the fish out of water for the first couple episodes, so that we yes. feel for his bumbling before they they transition and show just why he is so frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Done. It's it's super it's super smart storytelling the kind that you don't normally see at places like Disney mm-hmm. uh, because the, we got a Han Solo movie that kind of spoiled everything yeah. uh, but the, but but here's the deal you know uh, I, I don't ever you know there probably is going to come a point where someone is going to you know have detailed or put together all of the tidbits and clues to make a Mandalorian religion. And that's, <laughs> that's fine. Whatever. Uh, but I hope we don't ever get there because I, I, to me, that's, that's the fun of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, what makes the character interesting is that space between the two facts that you have and all of the information that you don't, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, so that's, that's what made that really, uh, just super smart. Uh, um, you know, we, we, we know him now in ways that we didn't know him before, but we don't really know him. You know, he's still a mystery. He can still surprise us. There's still stuff from his past. And uh, as long as they keep that uh, alive and, and in the series before they've answered every question and we find out his real name and uh, why his parents were there, you know, it's just all that, all the junk that you have, that's been in pop culture now for the last half a century. I, I, I want none of that. He needs to remain a mystery. Yeah. Well, and I love the, th- all right. So here's the other thing that I absolutely loved. He never took the helmet off. Like we never see the face. Not yeah. until, not until the uh, IG unit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing that bothers me so much about every superhero show that I see. Right. Is that, They've got like this is a character that's supposed to have a secret identity, and they have them whipping off their mask like every ten minutes, 
And it's yeah. like, that doesn't make any sense at all. And, like, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, I've, I've listened to the commentaries on DVD, you know, Sam Raimi going like, oh, but we need to see Toby's face so that you understand the emotions he's going through. Well, then, then this is pretty badly directed if you can't like convey his emotions or he's a bad actor if he can't convey his emotions without the need of seeing his face. Right. You know, like, the, this should be possible. Another movie that I liked for this reason was V for Vendetta. But it's like a good actor, a good script, and well-directed should be able to convey emotion without, you know, us seeing the face of the character constantly. Same thing with this. You, you yeah. don't need to see his face to understand the emotions that he's going through. The stoicism says a lot in a lot of situations where you get what's going on have you guys been watching the um the the behind the scenes stuff that they've been putting out oh my gosh yes right there was that one little piece when the directors uh were having their their deal where they were working with him specifically and uh and and she says out loud you know uh keep still here don't move so that when you do move it'll have more importance and more meaning Mm -hmm. uh and and, and I, what a great note but also yeah you that totally makes sense you know what i mean um he's so still for a lot of the movie that when he cocks his head to one side you know you can tell he's thinking about uh what the child is doing right now mm -hmm. you know what i mean like it's yeah really really uh inspired yeah, I mean, there's the whole episode where he's in the village where they're, you know, he's going to defend the village because he thinks it might be a good place to hole up, but they're, but they're under attack. And it's like, there's so much going on in that with the interaction with the woman and, you know, letting you, letting the baby Yoda play with the kids and everything, just the way he's looking and everything. And it's like, you, you totally get what's going on, but you don't need them to spell it out. You don't need to see his face to get right. all those emotions out of it. So yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I think, I think that, this is, you know, the 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 creators like actually respecting the audience and their intelligence. I know it's a weird thing again <laughs> coming coming from Disney, right? Uh, I know. It's color just... me shocked. <laughs> so yeah, no, I I was very thrilled with this, and then of course, um, you know, we're gonna talk about you know characters and stuff in a minute, but I'm just gonna say, Gene Carlo Esposito shows up at the oh, end oh yeah yeah oh, and, and oh, oh, oh. he is phenomenal in anything that i've seen him in and that that you know moth gideon not only does he show up he shows up with the dark saber and they don't even say anything about it nope just nope. shows up with it it's the coolest thing i've ever seen well that's just at the very end though he shows that he has that when he's cutting himself out yeah 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 so nobody saw it yet Oh no! There's yeah, no like for the audience. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, no. There's no, oh, no oh, okay. He just has it, and it's right. cool as hell. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's yeah. got Dave Filani's fingerprints all over it. Yeah. So yeah, no. There's there's so much. Yeah, that's good about this. Um. So yeah, let's start. Let's start talking a little bit more about specifics. We've thrown a few characters and actors around and stuff, but, um, you know, let's let's talk about some of the characters. So we were talking about the Mandalorian himself, but uh, any, any more comments specifically about him? Um, Angie, did you have anything you wanted to say? Um, yeah. Pedro Pascal. I wanted him to be Dr. Strange really badly. Like, mm. I don't know why I fixated on that. There was like no rumor that he was going to be Dr. Strange, but <laughs> I decided he was going to be Dr. Strange. 
Okay. You do you, Ange. You you know, it's fine. I, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) But, um, I, I, I started actually started watching Game of Thrones because I, uh, he, because of the buzz around him, weirdly enough, I read the books and wasn't that impressed. So I didn't watch the show, um, until he showed up and I was just, I find something about him so charismatic. Um, but but not, I mean, it's different than say like Chris Evans in the MCU, for example, where he's, he's so personable. Like you just, you really feel drawn in and you can see why people would follow him as a leader. This is totally different, but Pedro Pascal just has this presence that is mysterious, but alluring and kind of, I just want to see more every time he's on screen. Yeah. And he had a mask on the whole damn time. And I still was like, what are you going to do, bro? What's that? Like, what are you going to do? I, I find him so compelling as an actor to watch. So I was just thrilled the whole time. Okay. And Juliet, what do you think about Pedro Pascal and his performance as the Mandalorian? I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a little weird for me, having seen him first in Game of Thrones, and then in this to hear his voice totally not with an Oberon accent. Right. <laughs> that was a little jarring, but I thought he did a fantastic job. I love the way that he seemed to get his butt kicked in every episode for a while. And he just kept going. And I'm like, are you like the world's worst Mandalorian? But he wasn't, he was so, and then we, we watched him like break into the, the prison and I'm just watching him thoroughly kick everything's butt. Like yeah, okay, you're cool now. And he loves, he loves this child. He doesn't love the child, but he he's worried about this child. He was a family. This child is alone. He wants to take care of it. How could I not like love everything about that? He's on the ship. He's leaving. He looks at the little ball that the. So, I thought he did a great job. I thought that completely. Even though there were, I think, what three actors? There were four people total. Three actors total that played it, that were in the Mandalorian suit. Um, they all did a fantastic job as the Mandalorian, making me truly know what the character was feeling and thinking through a mask, much like V for Vendetta, because that was the thing I was thinking about while watching mm. it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's another movie that I instantly respected just because of the fact that they didn't feel the need to have him take off the mask at some point and be like, oh, now you can see, you know, all his facial expressions. And it's like, you know. No, I thought he had a really good character arc. I liked the way he came about on his issues with droids and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that. I like the, uh, I like giving them character touch like that too of, you know, I I don't do droids. (laughs) I think the thing about him that, uh, that is the the reason why he works is that he is not, uh, he's not traditionally handsome, you know, in that sort of like, uh, uh, chiseled, uh, LA sculpted kind of way. Uh, what he does have is charisma. He's got real uh, screen presence. And I think that is why he got cast. Uh, Because you don't have enough of an opinion about him. He's basically been a chameleon. If you go look at his body of work, he's basically playing the secret agent or the, or the, the, the G man in like a half a dozen things. And when you, and when you read it, Oh, him. Yeah. He was in there. Oh, that's oh he was in that uh he he's kind of a chameleon he blends in but he's got a he's got a presence about him uh and uh and he's a he's a very solid actor and so 
there's there's not a burning urge for him to take his mask off. We're not talking about Hemsworth here. I don't need to see you know those golden locks. Uh, but uh, but what he what he brings to it or what he brought to it was was a kind of a, an earnest intensity. Um, this is going to sound really uh, maybe overdoing it, but I he gives me a Steve McQueen vibe. Mm. There you go. Uh, that's, uh, and in the man world, that's a compliment. That's like huge. <laughs> Steve McQueen. Oh. oh, that's a big gun you pull out, but it's true. I think I, I, he's got that kind of level of cool about him. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, there's just something about him that, uh, uh, that, that makes him fascinating to watch without being, you know, uh, distractingly gorgeous. Well, I mean, it's the same thing, though, that I was saying also about the minimalism of the show is that he's also giving that minimalist performance that he's he's not doing a lot until he needs to so that everything he does, like you said, like if you if you hold yourself still, you know, when you do move, it means something. And and he knows he's got that timing. He's got the he's got he got he has the understanding of when you do that and how much to make the most impact that's right no so yeah no i i was really impressed with that i'm i'm reading through the old because because i'm just a weirdo and decided that now that there's not going to be any more of the old continuity of star wars that i'm going to read it all <laughs> that i've been reading up a lot of mandal you know a lot of mandalorian stuff because that's the that's the very early history kind of stuff and <laughs> did you just woot julia I might have. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, so I've, I'm already like really like clued into the culture and everything. And I was really impressed with how much like, again, I think Favreau is like a huge hardcore Star Wars nerd and was like, yeah, see, the Disney execs don't even know I'm taking stuff from the old EU and just throwing it in here and, and making it like part of the new continuity too. And I thought that was great. And so, yeah, all, all the stuff about the Honorable Warriors and everything all the stuff that should have been in stinking attack of the clones that they didn't even put in there <laughs> still, I, still see, i'm still upset about all that but I, uh, I think that's i think that's dave filani's fingerprints more than favreau but mm. uh but it doesn't matter it's in there uh it's just what's nice about it is that um you know it's it's now a surprise rather than an expectation Right, uh, and I think, and of course, we know that's why they jettisoned the EU. Anyways, they did not want you uh, in the audience uh, screaming at the screen in the fourth book of the third <laughs> Trifrindium. This clearly doesn't happen because that's supposed to be Mara Jade up there. Nobody, <laughs> nobody needed that. <laughs> like nobody wanted to have that, and so by killing all of the EU, it allowed them the freedom to pick the stuff that was good and jettison the stuff that was bad. So this is the first time we've seen that. I don't think we've had any of that stuff come in on anything else to date. Have we? Uh, did the Clone Wars... Do, Julia, are you watching the Clone Wars stuff at all or any of that? I haven't yet. I actually plan to. Uh, I'm going to do a full watch through uh, in chronological order, which includes all of the animated series. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I do know, in fact, though, that they've taken the character of Grand Ad- Admiral Thrawn from the books and have put him in the, in the Clone Wars. Yes, so. and they've given him his new books, too. 
Okay. Okay. So Thrawn. So Thrawn was was in there uh, as well. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, they're being really cautious with it, and uh, you know, bully for them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want these guys to have the freedom to change something up if it makes for a better story. That's the secret. It's got to make a better story. No. Okay. <laughs> you can have your opinion, Mark. No. Um, <laughs> not that it needs to be a better story. I'm just saying so far their track record hasn't been that. You know, I like the sequel movies, but they're not as good as the sequel books. <laughs> just, yeah. um, but anyway. <laughs> but yes, this show is very good. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we talked about uh, The Mandalorian. Um, and so, yeah, let's go on to uh, Nick Nolte's character who... You know, uh, apparently his name, he had a name called like Quillyby, um, but I just remember him as I have spoken. So, you know, <laughs> there's that. Um, I, I really liked him. Um, I, I don't know why. I think it was just the sort of like forthrightness of the character of just like, we're going to do things this way. I have spoken and that's just it, you know, and uh, really, really just enjoyed that uh, performance. So, um, Mark, thoughts about this character? And the this is this is this is probably the per- the best example I could think of 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 why I felt like I saw. The, I, I I kept saying about this show. It felt like uh, really cool kids were playing with all of my old Star Wars toys. Um, we don't know. We have no information about the Ugnots other than the fact that they apparently like to play keep away with Wookiees. <laughs> right. That's it. Like right. that's, that, that's all we've got. And Either so, that or they enjoy having C-3PO in pieces. I guess one of the really two. Sure which and, one. Yeah. And, and they need not be mutually exclusive <laughs> right, you know, right. at that. But I think uh, for being able to uh, not only uh, color this character in, in, a, in a unique way. I mean, he could have been an original. This is, this is what I mean. They could have come up with an original alien for this yeah they could have come up with something brand new and put their little fingerprint on it but instead they go back to the well where there's this completely basically throwaway thing that they can put some shade and some detail on and so at once it's familiar for me oh cool it's an ugnaught and at the same time it's also brand new like i had no idea that is perfect that it for this kind of show Man, that's the sweet spot right there. I don't ever want to feel like I'm out of my element, mm-hmm. uh, but I also want something new. Give me new things. And uh, if all Ugnots are this cool, I want more Ugnots now, see? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, uh, he was great. I love the, uh, the way that they did him, uh, the, the animatronic uh, mouth. Uh, f- felt very Star Wars, you know, the, mm-hmm. the organicness of it. I like the fact that they're still using practical effects for a lot of this stuff. That's great. And, uh, and Nolte's voice was, uh, uh, you don't normally think of him as being a nuanced performer, uh, mostly because he spent most of the 80s uh, pretending to be drunk and smoking. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so this was an, a, another pleasant surprise. Uh, you know, I don't, don't normally consider him to have depth anymore, but he's at least got a little bit left. So cool. Win, win. I love your underhanded burns there, Mark. Uh, what? What? Like he's going to like, like Nick's going to come kick my ass. Right. Please. Right. <laughs> um, Juliet, um, thoughts of this character. Okay. So like Mark, I love the idea of being able to explore the Ugnaughts more because they were just, weird voiceless 
grunting things. Mm. And now we get to see one, and I wonder, do they all talk like this, or is this just a him thing? He was he was just awesome. He was kind of reminded me of my grandfather a <laughs> little bit. Um, yeah. I could see my papal totally doing all of that, including shaming me if I had failed to ride something the way he shamed the Mandalorian. Didn't <laughs> you ride? Didn't your people ride the great mythosaur? You can't even ride this blurg. <laughs> I mean, and then he, I thought that was going to be the last of him if, after we left the planet and everything. Then, then he comes back. He came back and we got to explore and I cried like a baby. Yeah. yeah. Talk about emotional, right? Uh, oh man I, I did not think that they would kill him off i thought for sure if like you know if anyone's surviving this besides the mandalorian and baby yoda it's gonna be him it's okay they're, they're not pulling any punches yeah no and it's good and i'm glad to be surprised in that way because i thought right. yeah this is like a lovable character that they're gonna keep around and nope <laughs> uh angie what do you think about him I mean, yeah, basically, well, I mean, I'm, I, I didn't know the, uh, the race was Ugnaught until now. So thanks guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, to me, I simultaneously was so offended on a personal level that they killed that guy before I found out everything about him. Oh, um, yeah. but at the same time as, as a story, uh, God, what amazing storytelling. Like I, I'm mad, but I'm not mad. <laughs> Uh, uh, he, he takes an assassin droid and turns it into a nursemaid. Right? He's the most interesting character thus far. And I love Kara too. We'll get to her. But like, mm -hmm. he's so interesting and so complex and so just, I want to see more so badly. Um, and I respect the show so much for killing him, but I hate it too. Just yeah. Especially when, you know, and he's got that one line of dialogue where he talks about how he, uh, how he basically, uh, he 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 bought his freedom at yeah. great cost and sacrifice, you know, uh, and that's uh, that says a lot about who the Ugnaughts are, and it says a lot about the the kind of person he is, you know. Uh, again, great storytelling because it it while it answers a question, it asks two more, and right. uh, and if we never see another Ugnaught in the show, I'm okay with that. But boy, boy, yeah, he was. Uh, I, I hope that they continue to make that whenever they put something on screen, they make the most of it like they've done with this, you know? Mm. Well, this is great because also like the movies don't have time to really go into the nitty gritty of, you know, this is, you know, this is, this is what people, how people live in this world and this universe, you know, because they're telling the big sweeping stories and to be able to have a series where you can just explore a character or a race for three, four episodes, you know, that's kind of nice, you yeah. know, cause you can, you can flesh out things so much. And like you say, even with just a few lines of dialogue, you know, the fact that he's, you know, was a freed, you know, a slave that worked to free himself, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like you can make, you know, leaps about, is this like a typical experience of his race? Are they all enslaved? You know, like what happened there? And so yeah. there's a lot that you can, you can just spin off from that. Um, so uh, of course, no character in this show has captured the public minds and hearts as much as the baby Yoda. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for it. Um, <laughs> Son um, of a bitch. 
so you know and again i mean it's like in one sense you know it, it you know it's definitely a character you know as agency as things that it does uh it is of course just basically a, a plush toy puppet uh, but uh but yeah it, it, people love baby yoda baby yoda is adorable um so uh, let's start with you on this one angie what did you think about baby yoda when you first saw it so me personally i mean eh, he's real cute like it it's one of those things where like i get it but i don't care mm. i guess <laughs> The milk and the chicky nuggies or whatever. Like I, I get the zeitgeist. I know why it's that way, but I don't. In and of itself, the child is more of a plot device than anything else. And yes, it's very cute. But in terms of like me feeling for things, there were only a couple instances where I, where I really felt anything for the character. Um, mm. That said, my child loves Baby Yoda. Uh, like adores baby Yoda like did the whole stereotypical Doctor Who thing where he snuck out of bed one night and just like crept down and he was watching behind the sofa to see baby Yoda while we were watching the Mandalorian when we thought he was asleep so in that sense it's kind of the same as the um whatever they now I can't remember the name but whatever the puffin birds that were on that island that they used yeah yeah the porgs um, it, it, the same as that. I don't feel anything about the Porgs. I'm kind of met on them, but watching my kid love them so much is endearing to me because I, when I was a little kid, I loved the Ewoks so much. And that was kind of my entree into this. You know, I was too, really too young to understand what was going on, but I just loved the Ewoks. Mm. Um, and I'm watching the same thing happen with my kid and he just adores baby Yoda. And so I, I love him because of that, I guess by proxy. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm watching my child become interested in this thing that I love because he loves baby Yoda. So I love baby Yoda too. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good, it's a good point that you make about loving something by proxy and everything, but like you, I, I can't stand the, uh, the memes, um, just the, you know, sort of inaneness of them and just the chalky walky chicky nuggies and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, that isn't even like how the baby behaves. It doesn't say anything like that. I don't know. I just don't, I don't find that funny, um, or cute or anything, but, um, uh, so Mark, you had a colossal sigh when I mentioned baby Yoda. I, I don't know what you mean. He's a delight. <laughs> Uh, he's great at parties. He knows magic tricks. You know, uh, chicks dig him. Uh, you know, he's a heck of a wingman. I don't know what you're, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. No, I, okay, it's like this. Uh, yeah, I think Ange is spot on. He's the he's the he's the cutest Maltese Falcon ever, right? Mm. He's he's all MacGuffin. Mm. Uh, that said, he's absolutely emphatically designed to to generate that response you know, that, mm. that caregiving instinct. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't want anything bad to happen to him when the, when the stormtroopers are pounding on him to get him to stop moving, that bothered me, you know, mm. I was like, Hey, knock it off, you know? Uh, but, um, uh, I love the child in the show. I hate baby Yoda in pop culture. There you mm. go. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And, and Juliet, as the owner of your very own baby Yoda, how, how do you feel about baby Yoda? I got to go with Mark in a similar way. I, the memes drive me nuts because they're, for the most part, pretty darn stupid. Yeah. But 
on the show, it was like watching the most adorable kitten ever. Like when right. I watch kitten videos on YouTube when I'm really just sad and I can yeah. just go, oh, that's all I did for some episodes was just go, oh, <laughs> I kid you not. I'm pretty yeah. sure that I drove Corey insane with it, <laughs> but I kind of really liked him. And I found out a really cool tidbit about uh, the child on the show. Okay. When they were originally, when they first did the first episode, they had the puppet. And Warner Herzog would talk to this puppet as though it were real, a real baby. And they were going to swap to some more, they were going to do some more CGI with him or just like not, not a full puppet with him. And Warner Herzog apparently said that that would be a travesty to replace him. And so they kept the puppet. Hmm. But I'm just imagining Warner Herzog talking to this baby Yoda puppet (laughs) as if it were a real baby. (laughs) <laughs> what does Warner Herzog say to this child? I, I, I don't know, but that kid's going to have therapy in, 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 in another 150 years. That he's going to be working that out on the couch, that's for sure. The one thing that kind of had me annoyed, though, is they established that it's 50 years old. And I'm like, wait a minute. If Yoda died as an old man at 900 years old, that doesn't really scale right. <laughs> I'm like, there, there's something wrong with their math there. But anyway. Um, but yeah, no, the thing, the, the, the nice thing about uh, Baby Yoda or the child or whatever you want to call it is what it says about the Mandalorian, right? Because we learn so much about him from how he interacts with the child. Oh, without yeah. a doubt. Even to the point of he's so doting on this child that when it's trying to mess with the controls on the ship, he unscrews the ball top of the joystick and gives it to it to play. And I'm sorry that I keep referring to it as it, but we don't even know if it's male or female. So, uh, so it's, um, you know, he gives it to it to play and you know, it's just like that, that says so much of the stoic character, this character that almost never shows emotion from the way that he, you know, takes care of this baby you see is actually a very sensitive very caring person and i really like that and because it's another way of showing not telling yeah he's not an inhuman monster you know uh the the whole dead or alive thing you know is is if you've done something to deserve uh being picked up but uh, he recognizes innocence and responds with kindness that's good yeah yep yep so yeah, but yeah, no, I I'm agreeing with every. I am shocked that all four of us agree on this. That the, that the me too. I thought everything. I thought I was going to be the asshole. In the <laughs> right. right now, I really I thought it was going to be like, no, I can't get enough of your chalky walkie chicky nuggies. <laughs> to be fair, I don't like it when the cats ask for cheeseburgers either. So right, yeah, I, the whole thing to me can can just go uh, die in a fire. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, let's all go around now and say, you know, a character, another character that we want to talk about. Cause, uh, you know, if we talk about every character that appears in this, we're going to uh, run out of time pretty quickly. Um, so, um, Juliet, let's start out with you, a character we haven't talked about yet, or only just touched on when we're giving our overview. I'm pretty sure I already talked about the client, which is Werner Herzog. So right. I don't need to really expound upon my love for him so how about Cara Dune because dear lord she is the most badass thing I have seen in a while Mm. and I'm sure that other we're all gonna have to talk about her because she is a huge part of the show and I was not sure that she was gonna survive or that how often we would get to see her 
And I also found out in watching the behind the scenes things, apparently she did a lot of her own stuff, yet like picking the Mandalorian up and just hauling him into a building. Oh no, she actually picked up this human body and just hauled him into the building on the set. (laughs) And they were all like, oh my God, she really is that strong. But to see her interactions with the Mandalorian in the beginning, uh, with the child, and then later on, even with IG-11, which him, man, IG-11, dude, from from assassin droid to nursemaid on a speeder bike, <laughs> whole thing. And I know that honestly that they're side characters, but I gotta give it up for the stormtroopers throughout the entire series and their dialogue that was like listening to something out of Red versus Blue. Right. Oh my gosh! They're like, you got the two guys with the baby Yoda in the sack, and they're like, should we head back yet? Nope, nope. Wait, guys, he just shot someone else for like saying something ridiculous and they're like okay cool we're just gonna sit here and you can just i would have sat there the entire show and just listened to the stormtrooper dialogue for an entire episode oh see that was that was the one thing that snapped me out of it especially when the one is trying to shoot something that's only like five feet away and he's missing and i'm like you know i get the jokes about stormtroopers and stuff but i don't want it to be self-conscious like that where they're you know where it's like oh look how bad their aim is har 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 i i i really that that oh god i hated that believe it or not i actually didn't think they had bad aim i th- i thought that was the child deliberately throwing off their their shots for, mm. for being punched in the bag oh no i loved it because i thought in the movies everything is so sleek and i mean even in the trilogy when you know resources were a little bit harder to come by the empire seems so like slick and coordinated and you know this is the this is the grunts dealing with crappy equipment yeah <laughs> i loved yeah. it i thought it was wonderful <laughs> conscripted labor you know these are not skilled these are unskilled guys that they're basically just throwing at a problem you know uh literally literally cannon fodder uh so I, I did what, what saved that scene for me was them thinking that it was the gun that was faulty. Uh, that to me is what made it actually funny. Uh, but uh, I, I like um, that this comes up again in the prisoner. Uh, whenever uh, Bill Burr, Burr gets, uh, he bristles at the thought of being confused with being a stormtrooper. I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, I I liked that, you know, more than than having it be very much like a oh look people, we're doing the stormtrooper joke. Har har har, look at us. You know, it's like every joke that anyone who's watched Star Wars has ever told. Ha ha ha. Um but uh but okay, Kara. All right. So, um Angie, you wanted to talk about Kara also. Yeah, I mean, like ditto everything Juliet said. I freaking love Kara. Um, I could not take my eyes off her whenever she showed up on screen. She was totally magnetic. I love that at the very end that he names her home planet as Alderaan. And mm. it's like, yeah, that makes like, it just, it was one of those puzzle pieces clicking into place. It like, it so encapsulates everything about her character that she's mm-hmm. from Alderaan and she's still alive. So obviously she wasn't there when it, you know, met its unfortunate end. But I just, everything about her is so uh, she's 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 the natural progression of of princess leia i think because she's so strong and so capable and just getting it done and i just i adore her i think the actress is an mma fighter so she's just got this very commanding physicality as well that i thought Mm. was so great and such a 
compared to the Mandalorian, whose uh, you know almost absence of of overt characterization, she's she's almost. I don't want to say she's overt because she also is is pretty reserved, but she's so reservedly badass. Like it just radiates from her in these waves that are almost visible. I just loved everything about her. I was sad when she showed up and then went away again. And I was so excited when she came back. (laughs) Well, that was what was kind of nice about that last couple of episodes where it's like, okay, so this hasn't just been like a random sequence of events and, and it's not just about, you know what's going to happen with baby yoda we're actually going to make this matter and pull the people you know from the previous episodes and be like you know let's let's assemble a squad here so um i really did i like that too but um yeah um Kara, yeah and i like the fact that when she first showed up i was a little suspicious you know like is is this somebody else that's really like a bounty hunter or something and she's you know after you know the the baby and you know all that you know I I really liked that, and then just learning about her and seeing her defense of the village and everything else, and you know after, you know all that stuff. I just yeah, she's a great character. Um, Mark, any thoughts on Kara? Oh yeah, yeah, she's great. Uh, beautiful and uh, strong, and you know, great combination. I also really appreciate the fact that they are not going out of their way to to make a big deal out of her being a woman. I mm. like the fact that, that she just comes in and, uh, and, and Mando says, heavy trooper. She goes, yep. And they're like, all right, we're in, that's all you needed. You know, that's, those are your bona fides. You know, yeah. if you, you picked up the gun, you, then you're capable. You know, there was never any of that sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that old school, you know uh so i i was really uh, appreciative of that and uh uh yeah i'm looking forward to seeing her in future episodes she was she was good in the show and uh uh i was uh uh excited to see her character yeah the the alderan thing was great uh you're like man she seems a little more angry than most especially now that the war's over oh alderaan never mind shoot them all yep kill everybody <laughs> go nuts oh well that's another thing we haven't talked about is the fact that this is set between the two trilogies you know that this is this is after the original trilogy but before the new trilogy so you've got the scatterings of the empire all around because they're now there's no emperor to unify them, but it's sort of like the dangerous, like, no, which I guess would be the, the comparison to a Western where you're in like the lawless country or whatever. But you know, that's, that's kind of like what, how things are is, you know, you, you've, you've got, you know, sort of scattered governments and, and nobody's really unified. And that makes for an interesting situation also, just because there's no, you can't just radio for help from somebody because there's no central authority anywhere. That's right. A lot of opportunities for uh, creative uh, financing. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, Angie, uh, since care has been taken, uh, who else would you like to talk about? Um, I, loved the armorer mm. um i i hesitate on that one because i almost love her more because of all of this spe- like the super speculation about who she could be if anybody um but I, i'll i'll go with her just because i don't care and inevitably whoever she ends up being if anybody or she could just be some random new character i don't care she's amazing i love her i loved her fighting the stormtroopers with 
a hammer. And yeah, this the show in terms of strong women who they don't go out of their way to call out that fact. They're just badasses. Right. Um, the show is kind of owning. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like that the uh, that the that the armor is is uh, a matriarch of the of the order. Uh, why not? You know, <laughs> let's let's do this. Uh, mm-hmm. The more the merrier, I think. Yeah, I mean, so many of these other characters, we don't get a lot of screen time with them, but they make like a good like. There's a presence there, and you get enough with that. Mm-hmm. And so you know, like the whole thing of, you know. They they know they're screwed when the Mandalorian, you know, goes back on the bounty. But she's just like, you know, oh, but this is a found, you know, when he's like, this is a foundling, I got to take care of him. And she's like, oh, good, done. You know, honor, honor is more important, you know, and it's like, okay, right there, you got the character, right? There's also the really cool part about the fact that not only does she, she seems to be the matriarch. Mm-hmm. But they've made a point about the fact that there are very few people in the world in this universe now who even know how to work Beskar. It was a closely mm-hmm. guarded secret of the Mandalorians. Yeah. yeah. And I love the fact that she's the one who knows how to work the Beskar. And every time that he's like reserved the rest for the foundlings, and she's like, as it should be, this is the way. Right. Every, the, all of her all of her scenes uh, add to uh, the the knowledge base. Uh, completely and a hundred percent. Like there's not, there's no wasted dialogue with her. You know, you, you, you know who she is and you also get all these great tidbits. I love the thing with the sit with the sigil, you know, that where she, uh, where he's got to, he's got to come up with something that's representative of his, of his journey as a Mandalorian. And, and they, they settle on the, the, uh, the prehistoric rhino, you know, uh, so cool. Uh, yeah, all all of it was great, and uh, I don't know who the actress is, but uh, Emily um, Swallow. Uh, she was in uh, Supernatural as Amara. If you've ever seen Supernatural, I have not. But uh, I didn't but, even like Amara, but I <laughs> seem to like her as the, yeah. <laughs> as the armorer. Oh yeah. gosh, we have to mention the fight in the black in the forge. With oh, the, oh, oh, oh my oh. god! Like she was like kicking stormtrooper butt right and left, throwing him in the forge. I uh-huh. didn't even know how she did all this, but oh my gosh! Respect for her. If it was it wasn't already through the roof, it's like to the moon now. Yeah, good the, stuff. The, the fights, the fights uh, universally in this have been great. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. No. Uh, all all of the action was great. All of the all of the gunplay has been good. Uh, I like the fact that they're using. Uh, martial arts that don't look like martial arts. It's mm. nice. Yeah. So Mark, a character that we haven't talked about yet, who would you like to talk about? I'm only going to mention this one because it lets me talk about the rest of the team as well. And that's Bill Burr's character Mayfeld mm. uh, from the, uh, from the, the uh, prison break. Um, I thought he was really interesting and I'm glad that he's still alive, which implies that we'll see him again uh, this time with a score to settle. Uh, but, uh, I, I loved that, uh, that former crew leader putting the team together for one last job, you know, uh, th- that's just a great, um, uh, staple of, of caper fiction, you know? Mm-hmm. And so to, to symbol, uh, uh, Mark Boone was, was fine as the, as the old, uh, as the old, uh, veteran, but Burr and uh, Tonks and um, the Kurgan 
uh, were particularly I that, awesome. I love that you don't say Clancy Brown. You're like the Kurgan. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Le I'm sorry. Tonks and Lex Luthor. Like, <laughs> right. I, I apologize. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, what else is he going to be? Uh, right. in this, you know, uh, so good. No, uh, that whole episode was phenomenal. And I love how, how it resolves, too. With, yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah it's so, so smart I, I i like the fact that they uh um oh and 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 of course you don't realize this until after you've watched the behind the scenes stuff but the squad of x-wing fighters that comes in those are the directors oh nice yeah that's uh those are the those are the uh that's uh, uh rick Fa famiawa or however you pronounce his name and falani and um mm -hmm. uh uh the the lady that did um uh she directed the the magnificent seven episode not no not bryce dallas howard it was the uh the other one i can't remember her name but uh the the three of them in the x-wing squadron uh are the uh um uh, are the uh the people that shoot and and destroy the uh the thing so uh i yeah i thought uh you know a lot of people you know bill burr's only had a couple of parts in uh, uh breaking bad and better call saul uh but uh i it's weird it's weird to see him in a star wars role uh but uh, i loved the that he had this gun harness that gave him a third pistol that shot over his shoulder mm -hmm. That was a cool little thing that we just were supposed to just pretend like, oh yeah, I see those all the time in the real world. I'm not at all impressed by that. What? Yeah. <laughs> a cyber gun system? Uh, yeah, that whole thing was genius. And and what a what a great. Uh, honestly, the that really kind of pinged on the stuff that I really liked. The, my favorite part of the first Star Wars movie is the whole middle sequence when they're running through the Death Star blowing mm -hmm. up. And that, and that's what this felt like for me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it, it really harkened back to that sort of, uh, you know, we've got to, we've got to get in and get out, uh, kind of, a kind of, a well, and you, uh, you know, I, oh, man, that episode, because like you say, this is a trope, right? You know, the, the, the jailbreak, the, the old crew coming back together to do the one last job. There's all these tropes in that episode, but man, did they spin that into a very tense and very, um, you know, like a, like it's something where you were, you were, you were watching to see like, how is this going to play out? Like who betrays who at what point and exactly how it's all going to turn around and yep. who's going to come out on top you know, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so that, that was so good how they did that. I, I was very impressed with that episode of turning a bunch of tropes into something very compelling and watchable. Yep. That's uh, again, more smart writing, you know, uh, they, cause, cause this is the deal. They know, they know what they're playing with, you know, Favreau's mm. not an idiot. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, the only way to do that is to make it interesting and you've already got good characters doing interesting stuff and, and people that you want to know about. Um, uh, of course I'll watch, uh, Natalia Tenya, uh, read the phone book, but, uh, you know, I, I, she, uh, uh, I had such a crush on Tonks I, and it wasn't like a movie crush. I had a book crush on Tonks. That's the, that's what sucks. Uh, I, I cried so hard. I was so happy when she got together uh, with Remus and then cried. That was one of the ones that really bothered me like that. And the Weasleys, uh, Remus and, and, and Tonks dying in, in at the end of Harry Potter in the book. 
uh, just knocked me unconscious. I'm sorry. I feel like I've said too much. Okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, 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 we don't see, this is the great thing about the podcast, Mark. We don't have to judge you because the audience will. <laughs> <laughs> well, let the judging commence. <laughs> All right. So uh, I did mention him briefly, but I'm going to talk about Moff Gideon because uh, Giancarlo Esposito is this guy that I just think is amazing um, ever since I first saw him. And of all things, once upon a time. Um, but uh, everything I've ever seen him in, it, he is so good. And this is the counterexample to Pedro Cas uh, Pascal as um, the Mandalorian. You need to see his face because he has turned barely restrained anger into an art form. Yeah. Like there is so much going on, like, like on his face of just the, the rage, but he is in control. And, you know, even when he's shooting people randomly because he's not happy with them or whatever, it never turns into a full on rage or anything like that. He's just, he's dead, you know? That's I, I love that. I love that kind of character. I love the way that he does that, that sort of thing. So, um, I, I I absolutely love that. And, and I love the fact that we still have no clue why he wants the child. We have no clue what's going I mean, he he kind of said, like, you don't know what you're messing with and you don't know that's really this is bad, that you're you're trying to save this thing, blah, blah, blah. But we got no idea what's going on there. And I love the villain of mystery. And he's got that whole thing going for him too. I'm sure it's gonna be ruined in the next season, but at least for now. He's got all that going on for him. And I was so very happy uh, with that last storyline for having him in there as sort of like the, the end villain, you know, the, the mystery villain that we didn't even know was there. Um, so, yeah. I first came to him through Breaking Bad, uh, where he plays uh, one of the, he plays the, yeah, as Gus, he's probably yeah. the biggest bad guy, uh, uh, you know, not counting Walter. And, uh, um, so, uh, I, every time I see him, I only think of him in terms of villain, you know, villainy. And so for him to show up, my part, I, I was like, Oh, it's on now. <laughs> Y'all messed up. You don't know who you're messing with. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, he, even his entrance, he landed a tie fighter. Did you guys see this tie fighter just fold yes. up like the side panels and land? Because it was the sexiest thing I had seen at that point. Totally. I was just panting looking at the screen. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then that ending though, like we already mentioned with the dark saber, like you, you weren't prepared for that. There was no yeah. context or anything. Suddenly you see the, and of course you're expecting, yeah, cause he's a great villain. They're going to keep him alive. But suddenly there's this weird stuff popping out of it and circling around. And then he comes out and it's like, Oh, Oh, that does not look good. <laughs> Jaws dropping all over the place. Right. <laughs> Yes. Oh, uh, I, I, everything yeah. about this uh, is good news uh, because we're going to see, uh, of course he comes back. Uh, I like the fact that we're, we're getting mo most of the cast back that we wanted to see. There's only mm -hmm. a couple. Yeah. And, and I think, I think those deaths were meaningful. So I don't think we're begrudging, uh, you know, that, uh, that Quill got, uh, got killed. Uh, he died, you know, trying to protect the child. So that's, you know, you, you can't say that wasn't in vain. It was like, yeah, well, he did what he could. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, to see Esposito come out with a lightsaber and, and oh, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be pretty epic, you know. 
and uh, and the the premise of the the promise of Boba Fett with the spurs jangling, you know. Uh, yeah, we we it's it's we've got some good stuff to look forward to, man. Yeah. Um, I the the Tie Fighter wings folding up was one of those deals where um, uh, it, it costs nothing to put that on screen, but it just absolutely answered everybody's questions. Uh, whoever played with the toy and put the wings on the ground and looked at the space between the cockpit and the floor and went, that's a hell of a ladder. (laughs) How the hell are they going to, well, maybe they come in from the, well, no, that'd be a longer ladder. Yeah. So um, uh, between that and the Imperial troop transport that we got to see Mm. uh, in that episode as well, uh, that was another one that just, uh, uh, just filled my heart with joy uh, watching this toy that I used to have as a kid, uh, come in with a, you know, carrying uh, a whole wagon of stormtroopers, uh, and then the doors open and they, and they come running out. Oh, that was the best. Uh, I am telling you the, uh, maybe may, I don't even know if it was, uh, well, it wasn't laziness because they had to do all the, they had to build the stuff anyways, but I think probably there was a, there was a notion that, why we don't need to we don't need to make up a bunch of stuff all of the all the building blocks are here we've got the legos already mm-hmm. to do a story here you know there's so much stuff that got left on the ground because everybody was really focused on you know uh you know what color the glove of luke's robot hand is <laughs> so so with everything that's left you know let's 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 make a story and uh I think they they wildly exceeded uh, uh, everybody's expectations. I think. Well, here's the other thing. You mentioned the deaths and being meaningful and everything. Beyond their being meaningful in in a story sense, in the way of you know, like oh, you really feel when that character dies because they were important characters and and it furthers another character's dream. The other thing is, as the audience, I think that there was enough death in this show so that you don't take anything for granted and but not to the point where it was a gratuitous you know body count as far as just like oh we'll just like slaughter people left and right you know like all the main characters you know other than mandalorian he's the only one walking out at the end so i kind of like that that you know that, that that they've given us that sort of uncertainty because a lot of shows don't do that because they always want the option of pulling characters back in you know, and so, you know, right. even, you know, as, oh, oh you, you know, they were, they were injured, but there's the possibility that they got away or whatever. And it's like, no, don't do that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they we, just feel like a dangerous world where it matters, you know, death and life right. are, are not, you know, th- yeah. they're, they're important concepts. I, I like that everybody's either alive or dead and there's no, yeah, there's no wishy-washy to it. There doesn't need to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is a small stakes, not a small stakes. The stakes are smaller. But but the story's just as important. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's um let's talk about like story elements. I mean, Mark and I talked a lot about the prisoner uh episode. Um, but um Juliet, did you have a favorite story or storyline uh from the series? I gotta say, for me it was probably uh the IG eleven. 
like that particular like i have a thing against ig droids thanks to the whole tales from the bounty tales of the bounty hunters books which <laughs> hey, goes to that whole thing i love the stories about the characters that aren't the skywalkers i love to explore those and so that's maybe one of the reasons i really adore the mandalorian but ig11 and i was just re-watching the first episode recently where he was like I will initiate self-destruct. And Mandalorian's like, stop that. Right. He actually says that at one point. But he goes from this assassin droid who's just got the very basic assassin droid bounty hunter programming. And then now he's a nursemaid. And you talked about gratuitous deaths. And all I could think of was, wait, wait, what about when IG-11 just has baby Yoda and he's on a speeder bike and this boy is slaughtering stormtroopers right and left through the town. Oh, like, oh, wait, you make gratuitous major character deaths. Stormtroopers don't count. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah, no, 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 no. Stormtroopers aren't characters. They're just, you know, <laughs> they're props. <laughs> but man, like IG-11 by the end, he was the most protective of this little baby Yoda. And he's also the only only creature that has seen the Mandalorian's face. Mm. But because he's not technically alive and he's not a person, I suppose it's okay. The Mandalorian can put yep. his helmet back on. But at the very end, he gets to initiate his self-destruct. And again, I cried. He fulfilled his purpose. He did. Hey, it's it's Chekhov's gun, okay? You don't you don't establish a self-destruct in, in in the first episode unless you plan on using it by the last episode. I honestly hadn't expected to see him come back at all. Right, I know. I, I, I'm being, I'm being a little, <laughs> I'm just being a little trollish here. Um, but no, I love how they made because it, it, it looks like such a stupid thing when it's in Empire Strikes Back, right? Like it's like okay, they're throwing a bunch of bounty hunters up there. This one looks incredibly lame, but all right. Um, but I love how they did the whole thing of how it turns around and is constantly spinning and shooting at things and, you know, shooting in two directions at once and all that kind of stuff. I, I liked the, the visual of how it was realized. And right. so it looked like it could actually be a deadly, you know, it's a killing machine, you know? And so I like that. It's going to sound weird, but in the EU, uh, in one of the books, there was a, a nanny droid who actually protected baby Anakin and would like, with the soft pair of arms folded baby Anakin, like close into his chest. And then it extended other arms and just like dropped off the hands and suddenly it had guns. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this kind of reminds me of that. And I know that this IG unit is different from the one we saw in Empire because that was an IG-88 unit. That's so, right. Um, I'm just kind of like an IG-11. So you're older, but you're still in the bounty hunting business. Okay, cool. <laughs> Well, work really slowed down uh, when Bespin blew up. You know, uh, they, you know, the the, the droid uh, union uh, folded, and uh, then everything got uh, destabilized. You know, there's really not much else for the droids to do. I mean, you know, uh, the Ugnaughts uh, uprising. I mean, uh, it's it's tough being a, a, a former droid in the in a post imperial. Uh, uh, galaxy you know i have a lot of sympathy for him you know uh he could have gone on the dole but he didn't he picked up the guns and he went back to the trade that he knew best i just you know i, I or at least i think that's what happened <laughs> uh angie do you have a favorite episode or, or storyline yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about the prisoner. Um, you know, like I said, I, I love that we spend most of the season kind of following this fish out of water, and then are suddenly presented with why he is so incredibly frightening um, when he's in his own element. Um, but the other thing I really liked um, the episode—I want to say it's episode four when they're protecting the village and and taking out the uh, the walkers. Yeah. And, 
Um, this is one of the things I just adore about this entire series that I think was encapsulated so well in that episode is that it's not so black and white with these characters. I feel like you know, the the movies are this very high-level tropish. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's very almost simplistic in its black and whiteness. Mm-hmm. You know, there's good, there's evil, uh, like literally. Um, you know, so it's it's very simple in a lot of ways philosophically. And then you have this Mandalorian, and it's like, what happens if you take your helmet off? Well, you can't ever put it back on. And, and yeah, on the one hand, it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, you can tell just how much that means that he takes it off, that he can't ever put it back on. And in that episode, you know, he's he's looking for somewhere to hide the, the child and he meets this woman and stuff's going really well. And he does consider staying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that he is driven 100 percent do or die. You know, I am I am a Mandalorian raw like he he is willing to put it aside and then doesn't. And to me, that's, you know, I don't know that it's. Um, necessarily his most defining feature, but I really appreciate that they're adding this subtlety to the show. Um, I think it, it just opens up these avenues for much more interesting storytelling. Yeah. No, no, I like that too. And I like the, I like that they left things fairly ambiguous there. Um, another thing that I liked about that episode is that, you know, the walker didn't just step into the the pit trap. <laughs> of course it's really really obvious i was like this is gonna be so dumb if it steps into this thing and it's like no it doesn't good okay (laughs) that's that's good um you know of course the thing that my wife and i were saying to each other was you know you don't have to take the helmet off but you know that's a whole other (laughs) other thing um so uh yeah so mark you talked about the prisoner episode um I, I just love that last that last episode so much because that's another one that really keeps the tension going and you have absolutely no clue where this is going. I'm kind of sad that I saw it a little bit late and knew there was going to be a season two because I feel like this is a show that if I hadn't known that might have kept me guessing is, is this just a one and done kind of thing? They're like, we have a, a 10 episode, you know, mini series that we want to tell and at the end of the day, the main character dies, but you know, maybe he gets the baby to safety before he dies or something like that. And I would have liked to have had that be, you know, uh, uh, you know, a surprise to me if whether or not that was the case, but I knew he was at least going to survive. So that whole part of it was not um, surprising to me, but just everything of just how badly they were, you know, out of their depth there and just all the surprises having the armorer, you know, uh, kick ass was great. Uh, having the self-destruct come back up is one of those yes moments where you're just like, of course, because again, I mean, it is good storytelling. It was established right at the beginning and it pays off right at the end. And it just feels like this nice full circle, um, you know, has, has, has been connected there. So, and, and again, they, they understand the tease. Star Wars has finally learned from Marvel and, and is doing the, you know, the tease at the end. You know, to get you coming back for more with the dark saber. So you know, I uh, I I think that probably one of the reasons why this was so captivating to us and everybody else is that uh, we've all been kind of dancing around it. And uh, Nathan, you really kind of came down on it. Um, it's a totally different method of storytelling 
than we're used to with Star Wars. Um, especially where the movies are concerned, where it's this large, epic, uh, overarching thing, you know, and uh, especially with the most recent ones, they really haven't had a chance to slow down and, and, and tell us everything that I think we need to, to really be invested in those stories as much as we uh, could have been. But in this case, they had the room to maneuver and the, the way that the story is told is very unlike a, a typical Star Wars uh, project. And I think in this case, that really is what added to the surprise you know, we can't, when you don't know what to expect because you're so used to things being, you know, the Star Wars method of storytelling. And then this is not, uh, oh, when Star Wars shows up, it shows up. But when it doesn't show up, we're left with these character pieces and these interesting moments and these, you know, cool conversations. And that's not something that we've seen a lot of, especially in the main, uh, trilogy of trilogies but in some in some extent some of the some of the interstitial movies as well so i think i think that was really a, a positive thing and uh i'm i was i'm grateful i really am i i I'd, I'd hit the point where and i said this on my blog uh i've earned the right to not like some star wars stuff you know i've i've been i've been a star wars fan since i was seven years old watching star wars when it was star wars and not a new hope i mean i'm that old uh so but I, at the same time uh i i summed it up this way i like star wars even when i don't like star wars uh and and this has got me excited for star wars again uh way sooner than i thought i would be and and way more invested than i thought i would be so uh uh, and that's not a bad thing. That's always a positive. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I mean, uh, I I feel like I felt reading the novels when the novels first started because I was at the right age. I was, oh, I think the first one was ninety three, so I was thirteen when mm -hmm. uh, Heir to the Empire came out. So, yep. you know, I was I was getting them as well, not as they came out because they came out in hardcover, and there's no way I was affording a twenty plus dollar book. Um, but I was getting them as soon as they go to paperback, which would be a year later. So um, so like 14 up, I was, um, you know, reading those Star Wars books as they came out. And, you know, however people feel about that expanded universe, uh, in the beginning, the quality was pretty high. Um, so again, just that idea of being able to expand on the universe. And of course, with the novel, you can expand a lot because yeah. you know you're really fleshing out characters and civilizations and all that kind of stuff so you know it's that same sort of excitement i felt where you know i i haven't felt that same level of excitement uh, certainly from the prequels and a lot less from the sequels so um you know it's uh it's been you know this 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 was a this was a surprise to me um and yeah. and it was a welcome surprise totally um so uh final thoughts as far as things that we haven't talked about that you feel like oh man we cannot leave this without you know talking about this element um let's start with you juliet is there something we haven't talked about that you feel like we got to mention there is and it, only because i just saw this um and they're doing the whole disney gallery behind the scene things for the mandalorian 
Mm. And I didn't know until this latest episode how this was filmed. It was filmed on a single stage, just one giant room that was solely made up of like LED panels, like all above them, all around them. They just projected everything onto these panels and they would put the, the right environment on the floors. Like if it was sand or whatever it needed to be, it was sand underneath them and then all the way up to the screen. So it would mesh and they had prop, they had pieces on the on the set too you know they had like half a ship that was actually there that then blended seamlessly with everything else i'm watching this and i'm like i had no idea because it was so real to me there was absolutely nothing about the show that made me think of matte paintings or anything else behind them <laughs> yeah. I, I would have sworn that they they found a they built a village out in the middle of nowhere and then filmed a battle there but no it was filmed entirely in this room it's mind-blowing, guys. If you guys haven't seen how they did this, you need to watch it because, wow. It's basically the holodeck. It we're, is. I mean, we're, we're pretty, I mean, we're this close to the holodeck now. Yeah, it was, yeah, crazy. That's actually terrifying with how many times that went wrong. <laughs> think about it. You can shine the lights on the people exactly where you need it. You can have a day break that scene that if you need to film it for five hours, you can have dawn that lasts for five hours while you film it. And as you shift the camera, you can see the walls shifting with it and the color and the images. And they're watching through the, like the VR set headsets and everything. I just, the combination of everything and how they did it just blew my mind away. And it, it takes away nothing from actually watching the show because I'm still just as blown away by the show. Totally. So, so there were no actual exterior shots that that's no. all? No, no. you're going to oh, wow. you're going to lose your shit. Even, and even when you know how they did it, you, you can't tell. Yeah, no, no that is that is pretty amazing because I thought for sure they were on location, at least mm -hmm. for some of it. Not a single bit that I'm aware of. Oh. Well, they could teach George Lucas a thing or two. Actually, they discussed that. That was one of George Lucas's original wishes that he could do was to film Star Wars entirely in his garage using similar techniques, only they, the technology didn't exist at the time. Well, no characters came off as completely generated from CG, so don't like... Uh... <laughs> Don't don't uh, dispute me on that so that I, the, the, the illusion is ruined. Um no no jar jars or anything that looks like it was a, a cartoon that was just sort of painted on no um, not at all yeah no. this was uh this was definitely uh in the best star wars tradition as well technologically speaking this was a this was uh a step forward mm -hmm. uh the, the, you know going forward we're gonna see more stuff on that stage because of how how well uh it was received and how well they were able to control it Oh yeah, no. I mean, yeah. If, that, if it's that good, you know, it, like I say, I, I thought there were actual external shots there. Um, then yeah, I'm sure they're going to use that for all kinds of shows. Um, certainly should save some costs from having to go out on location. If you get a chance uh, on IMDb, go check some of the uh, stills for like specific episodes. There's a lot of stuff of like uh, characters walking across a sunset you know, and they're mm. backlit or whatever. Uh, and just know that when you're looking at that, that's in that room. <laughs> it's if it helps, they use game engine technology for a lot oh. of this, the transitions and such. Mm -hmm. So, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm so excited about watching that episode. <laughs> nice. Uh, Angie, is there anything you feel like we need to talk about that we didn't? Um, maybe this is a segue to, to future seasons um but i freaking love the fact that katie sackoff is going to be bo-katan 
<laughs> like I so that excited. Was, that was my that head blowing announcement. up. <laughs> You're blowing your brains out. Here's yeah. the thing. I have a really complicated um, emotional relationship with uh, Battlestar Galactica and specifically Starbucks with that show. Can't really say I'm a fan. Um, and when she uh, showed up in The Flash, I really hated that character. Yeah. But um, <laughs> watching Rebels, um, seeing that character, when they announced that casting, I was like, oh, yeah, like I can see it. And I think that is perfect casting. Uh, the, other, the other big casting news I am not so big a fan of, I'm a little bit more... Mm, on which is um ahsoka coming back as rosario dawson i'm i'm withholding judgment there but i was really excited about katie sackoff being bo-katan i think that's going to be really exciting to see and it means that we're definitely definitely going into more of uh the dark saber and what's going on with that so i think only good things can happen there hmm. all right mark anything you feel like we need to talk about that we haven't dude dude <laughs> we have not spot. We have not said one word about Ming Na Win. Hello, yeah. <laughs> she's going to transition from Agents of Shield over to uh, the Mandalorian. Everybody wins, nobody loses. <laughs> uh, I loved her character on the show. I loved that that whole episode was great, uh, and I like that she continues the tradition of playing the badass. Mm. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, very excited. Glad that she's coming back too. Yeah, I had I have some suspicions about this coming season of Agents of Shield because of that, but we'll 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 talk about that some other time. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You you and I we're going to need to probably uh watch it while drinking. So oh, yeah. <laughs> just, just, oh. just just break out the scotch and uh let's just sit quietly with our thoughts. No. Um but uh but yeah, I mean Angie kind of beat me to the punch there. Uh at anything you want from season two. So Mark, since we're already talking with you, what uh, what would uh anything that you want specifically from season two? I could not be more excited to hear that Timothy Oliphant is gonna come as come in as Boba Fett. Uh I figured we were gonna get the Fed eventually. And I think he's gonna be a great contrast because I think by now it's been established that he's not a mandalorian he's a guy that wears the armor so he's kind of like an <laughs> in that regard right i mean Django fett in the uh prequels wasn't a mandalorian right he wasn't uh, he just has the armor because i guess because he thinks it's cool uh but but regardless of how that's going to play out timothy oliphant ladies and gentlemen Raylan Givens is going to be Boba is he Fett. Be Boba Fett? Yes. No, he, he's according else. according to what I'm reading, he's playing a character called Cobb Vanth, who's a slave who acquired Boba Fett's armor. He's gonna be in the Boba Fett armor. Yes, yeah, so, he will be in the <laughs> Boba Fett armor. Yes. This is this is let me have this, okay? Okay. <laughs> this is gonna be the greatest thing in my life, and I know that's a a paltry sort of uh, a goal to have. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> I have needs and they can only be met by Timothy Oliphant drawing pistols and shooting people in the face. And if those pistols are laser pistols, then so be it. I, I, I hope your needs are met, Mark. Me too. God. <laughs> Juliet, anything you want from season two? I mean, I'm excited about all the casting, but if there's anything specific I want, no. I want the show to surprise me. I have absolutely no expectations for the next season. 
I, I'm ready to go wherever it wants to lead me. I will just follow along happily with my here, little here. baby Yoda toy. Yep. Yeah. Here, here. Yeah, I definitely want more of Moff Gideon, but I think that's pretty much, uh, you know, we can, we can be assured of that one because, right. uh, you know, there's no way that that's going to be like, a, oh, no, we're, we're, we're changing things up and there's going to be a new villain. We're not even going to talk about him anymore. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but, yeah, like Juliet, I, I really don't want to, to say a whole lot about this or wish for a whole lot because this has been a very surprising series um and i i want to continue with that of being you know pleasantly surprised by the stuff that happens in it and the good news i don't know if anyone else is, knows this but since they got all their filming in before covid19 this it is on track for the second season to be released in october yep wow that's good news yeah I mean, one of the good things about having a shorter season, I guess, is that they, you know, they didn't have to film a whole lot. Because I believe me, when we get to episode eight, and I was like, oh yeah, so you know, because I'm thinking, yeah, the shortest season is a, is ten, right? And so I'm like, all right, next episode. And it's like, what what do you mean there's no next episode? What is this? You know, I was I was not happy about that. So oh, you, know. you sweet summer child, I watched Sherlock where we have three episodes and then three years between <laughs> right. seasons. Yeah, <laughs> but but no, I his point is taken. You know, like I I got to say episode eight, and I was like, well that's a year of my life. I got to wait now. You know, I mean, I was just expecting the typical delay between star Wars projects because that's mm -hmm. how I'm wired from age seven to 50. <laughs> I've had to wait one to three years for star Wars. Every time I, you know, I right. get my fix. So, so for this to show up in October is just. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I'm fine with them doing like eight episode seasons. If it means we get a new one every 10 months, I think that's not a bad you know, not a bad delay. I just don't want it to be like the, hey, Netflix Marvel series, here's two years between seasons. And, you know, because we dithered for so long, you only get two seasons of most of these shows. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, this is Disney. I think we're safe that they've got the money and stuff, resources to do this. Right, right. In infinitely deep pockets, much yeah. like the mouth of the Sarlacc pit that Boba Fett will be climbing out of. <laughs> yeah. Well, unless they get bought by Apple. Oh, uh, are they really? No, no, please don't. That, say that. <laughs> that's been the rumor is that you just Disney's short hurting. circuit. You short circuited my face. Oh, yeah, there were like no words in there. Because oh. <laughs> of no, COVID-19, there's, there's some worries that Apple might acquire Disney. I can, oh, that, oh. This is what a stroke feels like. I'm I certain. broke Mark. I, this is what a, I, I'm smelling toast. I, 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 <laughs> Guaranteed. At least it was at the end of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Congratulations. You got your pound of flesh. Now I'm going to have to go put my brain together again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, there's no chance of that ever happening if they can find a, you know, a, a vaccine for COVID anytime fairly soon. But um, <sighs> the, 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 the not being able to run their parks is really, really hurting Disney. <sighs> and it doesn't help that they can't, you know, their 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 big tent poles, you know, aren't releasing. So yeah. Apple. Yep. <laughs> <sighs> so then maybe maybe next time it'll be I Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> All right, smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's say our goodbyes and let people know where they can find us online. So Angie, why don't we start with you? Why don't you say goodbye and let people know if they can find you? 
Goodbye from isolation. You can find me here and nowhere else. Have a good night. <laughs> and Juliet, uh, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Bye, everybody. Um, you can find me on Instagram as Rumi Elf, R-U-M-I-E-L-F, or on Twitter as the underscore visible underscore elf. So if you just want to chat about geeky stuff, or you could check out our Doctor Who podcast, me and Nathan talking about Doctor Who, uh, yep. called Time Streams. Good plug, Juliet. I don't have to. <laughs> I just gave the microphone a thumbs up that none of y'all can see. <laughs> yes, it's good <laughs> podcasting. Let's do a visual cue. <laughs> All right, yeah, no, no, uh, yeah, we're having a lot of fun doing time streams. Um, there was some some audio issues with the first episode, which is why it's taking so long. But uh, but it's all done now. the The episode is edited. Um, it's it's ready to go, and I just need to figure out how to uh do rss feeds and figure out if there's some way that you know i can do it cheaply but also make use of the fact that i'm already paying for a website without getting a second website so um once i figured all that out <laughs> that will be released so you know all right so mark why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you as always, I'd like to apologize to anybody who might have been offended and thank everyone else for putting up with me. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter, uh, uh, hashtag, or not hashtag, uh, ampersand Finswake. You can also get me on Facebook if you really want to. Um, I'm, uh, by the time you uh, hear this, my gaming zine for Dungeons and Dragons Monty Hall number one will be out and available at Drive Through RPG. Uh, dot com and uh, I'll have I'll be working on Monty Hall number two uh, from my successful Kickstarter campaign so that was fun uh, uh, enough people think I uh, am clever enough that they want me to write gaming stuff at their face and I am not going to let them down all right awesome uh, Mark Angie and Juliet thank you so much for being on the show thank thanks you. for having us. And that's a wrap for our Mandalorian episode. But that's not the end, because we want to know what you think of it. So you can do that in a variety of ways. You can email us at everything at 42cast.com. You can go to our website at 42cast.com. You can go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can tweet to us at 42cast. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher Radio or iTunes. And yeah, once again, just want to put a call out there. I love to hear feedback, positive, negative. Obviously, I'd prefer to hear a positive, but even negative feedback, if it's given constructively, is fine because we want to make this show something that you want to listen to. So if there's anything that you think could improve the show, then I definitely want to hear it. I also want to let you know about the ESO Network Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash ESO network. It's a way of contributing a little bit to the network to help us keep us all running. And from that, you get access to exclusive episodes. Some podcasts put their episodes up early there. And so there's all kinds of perks and things that you can get. So you can check that out at that website. And then you can get all the details from that. The other thing that I wanted to note on kind of a downside of things is that this episode was actually recorded about five months ago, and at that time, things were going a little bit better for Mark. 
very recently Mark's wife Kathy passed away so Mark if you're listening to this just wanted to let you know that you know everyone at the 42 cast we love you man we're really sorry that this happened and just take care of yourself and our thoughts go with you and I just hope that things will will get better and give us a shout out if you ever need anything but yeah beyond that not a whole lot more to talk about Join us back next week when Elliot Chapman will be with us. Yeah, so this is the one that I actually promised like four weeks ago that we were going to have the interview and then it actually turned out to be the Lee Ehrenberg interview and that's because I've been getting my wires crossed and getting confused about what episode's coming next. So yes, actually the next one will be the Elliot Chapman interview and he talks to us about working for Big Finish about recreating the character of Ben Jackson from Doctor Who, and basically about geeky stuff in general. He loves Doctor Who, too. We talk about just Doctor Who stuff in general that has nothing to do with he's done with Doctor Who. So it's a fun episode, and I really hope that, you know, you all enjoy it. But yeah, so uh, until then, this is Nathan signing out. You have been listening to the 42Cast, copyright 2020. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.